a review of this world, our present world, compared to Jesus' world, our next world, from a perspective of the scriptures like the one that we read earlier. So in 1988, the famous physicist Stephen Hawkins wrote a book entitled A Brief History of Time. And there he gives a description of the origin of the universe as we best knew it at that time. A description of an expanding universe starting from a huge event called the Big Bang. He also tells us some understanding about space and time and how they are intertwined and how they are not static, compared, uh, contrary to what we experience. Uh, the book also is... Uh, um, alluding to something called the uncertainty principle, which has huge impacts on many things. It's truly amazing in describing how much we have discovered, and yet at the same time, it is very limited and very incomplete. There are many things for which we have essentially no explanations. We don't know anything very much about what's called now black matter or black energy. We don't know what sets the mass of all the fundamental particles, or their charge, or their forces, for which if any of these values were to be changed even so slightly, would not, we would not exist. Stephen Hawkins recognizes that our theories are what he calls partial theories. Like many before him, he would have loved to find what he calls a, a a fundamental, uh, a complete theory for everything. But has, that has remained elusive. On one hand, we have amazing discoveries. On the other hand, we have a lot of unknown. We continue to be students in God's intricate and complex world. Psalm 108, uh, 111 says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. And that's probably us. So over the next minutes, let's do a little study. Let's do a parallel review of what we might call a brief history of mankind from a biblical point of view, without going too many details. I'll use a few simple visuals and try to describe them for Evelyn so that she can build in her mind also a little visual of what we are trying to do. Of course, it's going to be limited and incomplete. And we'll rely on the Holy Spirit to keep on correcting, refining, and expanding our view. So let's start our simple visuals with a straight line that goes right across the screen, from left to right, representing time as we experience it, a series of events along time, with dot, dot, dots on the far right and dot, dot, dot on the far left. We don't know much of what happened long ago or what will happen in the future. But still, the Bible tells us that in the far left, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have an X that marks the far left, dot, 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 part, to indicate the creation. Sometime later, still on the left side of the line, is another X. God created people in his image. In his own image created he both male and female. And far to the right side of the line, a third X marks the end of this age, or the day of judgment, or the day of the Lord, as mentioned many times in the scriptures.
Acts 2.20, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then right in the middle, a big X marks the first coming of Jesus Christ in this world. Jesus, described as the cornerstone, central to all of humanity, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Stone. Over this event line of humanity, let's recognize God's input throughout this uh, time. We place blue arrows coming down from above, from God, towards the events on the line that represents the story of us all. We also add many other events that shows that God is always impacting humanity. So in the BC time period before Christ, we, we can add Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophets. On the right side, in the AD time, we can add Paul and the church and the great awakenings and probably many smaller events. This simple visual is dramatically changed by one event that happened shortly after God created humans, what we refer to as the fall. Humans turned away from following God wholeheartedly, and the consequences that we read earlier that we read earlier are very deep, deep changes and deep troubles. Cursed is the ground before you. On our visual, instead of having a straight line with the X events, now we have a break in the line at the fall, where the line goes down. Down we follow a course as a red line below the original black line. Now the world is under the influence of Satan, and really under his rule. Since the fall, he too impacts the affairs of the world, and we showed that with red arrows coming from below that impact our world. We follow a human story now that is very different from God's original creation. The ground is cursed and all our means of life are cursed. They bring both sustenance as well as pain and hardship. Nature now brings wellness and adversity. Death has entered the human race and is deeply in the whole creation. The first family on earth deals with strife and with murder. And very soon the whole world sees deception, lies, wars, injustice. Natural disasters creep in with famines, extreme heat, freezing cold, dangers in many ways. Since then, we also read that there has been a heavenly combat between the Lord and his angels and Satan and his dark forces. We read of the effects throughout the life of Israel. Israel is seldom following the Lord and righteousness and often following Satan and unrighteousness. And his ways with lies, thefts, thrive and hardships. So the story of humanity has become very disheartening very sad. But now in the middle of the story comes the big event, the God event, the God card, the real trump card, the central event that reverses the course of humanity. So through God's foreknowledge, because of his mercy and of his lavish grace, 
he involved himself as a human, which David Deal explored two, work, two weeks ago. God redressed the whole destiny of humanity. From being on the downward red line, Jesus started a brand new upward, and I drew it in blue on the visual, uh, an upward blue line that is above the original straight line. In effect, Jesus catapults us from a gloomy destiny to a course of fantastic, unfathomable future. Now presently, God is not taking us out of this world, but he has us live in it for a while longer with a mission to bear fruit and impact the world in a positive way. And yet, while we are here on the red line, the scripture is clear that says that our citizenship is already in heaven. In effect, people who follow Christ are straddling both worlds, living this in this world and also in heaven already. And I indicated this with many small blue curvy lines that go from the red line, the bottom red line, this world, to the blue upward line, our next world, and eventually to a brand new creation with a big blue arrow there. So this is it, a very brief, brief history of mankind with both the effects of the curse and the promise of the new creation. We are still, for now, in this world, but part of it is already brand new. In Jesus' world, and I read for the, from the Amplified Bible, in this world you have trouble, tribulations, distress, suffering. But take heart, take courage, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. And he also said to his disciples and to all of us, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace, perfect peace. Now, one of the marks of this temporary world is suffering. I want to spend a few more minutes in, us, in it, since it can affect us rather deeply. And furthermore, our attitude in our suffering indicates our real beliefs, what we expect and what and who we really trust. Are we mostly invested in the affairs of this world? Or on what basis do we, do we appraise success or failure? When we are left on our own, what types of thoughts fill our mind? You know, what hogs and monopolizes our attention? So suffering is part of this present world and comes in a variety of forms. Genesis 3 speaks of physical sufferings, sweat, pain, toil, and also the deep pain that occurs at childbirth. We experience pain associated with malfunctions of our bodies, back pain, digestion pain, nauseas, migraines, and some, some then come from outside. Accidents, broken bones, traumas. Our world is the stage for a wide variety of emotional suffering as well. We go through loneliness, broken relationships, abandons, loss, depression. Some of it is man-made. Man is bent to selfishness and unrighteousness, to lying, stealing, which brings tensions, 
hatred, betrayals, injustice, fights and wars. At any one time, there is deep pain on earth associated with human conflicts. Furthermore, nature also brings its share of suffering. Genesis 3 says that the world now grows thorns and thistles, and toil is needed to make a living. There is heat and cold, there are droughts and famines, there are floods and hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes. Along with this suffering, there is an awful sense of purposelessness. You, may have, you might have seen it. Many scriptures indicate that as well. Vanity. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Generation goes, and generation comes. And also the sun rises and the sun sets. And hastening to the place, it rises there again. And blowing towards the south and then turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along, and all the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. All things are wearisome. That which has been done is that which will be, and all that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. It's driving after the wind. And the generic question that comes. What advantage does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? We struggle to earn money only to have it spent and gone. And just in case we have not realized it, Paul makes it very plain to us. Romans 8.20 the creation, this entire world system, was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him, because of God, who subjected it. As a consequence of the fall, God removed people from the original creation, from the Garden of Eden, and locked them out. We are temporarily locked in a world that can be both hostile and vain a world that deeply changed as a result of the fall. And when our endeavors are focused on this world, we sooner or later realize that much of it is without purpose. It's oppressive, it's vain, futile, meaningless. Even worse, according to Solomon, the wisest man on earth, as Doug read, all is vanity. Roman 8, the whole creation is enslaved to corruption. And then there is death. Genesis says, signals that death is, uh, uh, came in as men returning to the ground, something that was not intended originally. And then other scriptures, like Romans 5, confirm that death did not exist before, but was introduced by sin, by the fall. Death is, is depicted as an enemy, a hostile agent that presently oppresses and opposes the creation and opposes God. We don't need to fully understand its nature, but Jesus' words suffice. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So this is a grim picture, 
and what can we make out of it for the time being? You know, what does the scripture indicate and what wisdom can we glean? And I have a few points here. They are no, by no means complete. Huh? But first, in this life, God is okay with suffering. With some suffering, the scripture makes it very clear of the contrast between what is now and what will come later. In this present world, God allows some suffering, but will completely eliminate it in the next world, which is really hopeful. Scriptures are not shy of examples where God is deeply involved in some suffering. And of course, Jesus is the main one who had to endure it. And then Paul, and then in the Old Testament, Job, they all suffered severely. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured betrayal, humiliation, beatings, and dying on the cross. Of Paul, Jesus said, He is a chosen instrument of mine, my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. A very... Uh, puzzling uh, scripture. It seems like a very heavy burden for Paul, but actually it was not. Paul understood and accepted this. For example, he said to the Thessalonians, For you yourself know that we have been destined for these afflictions. And yet he adds, May no man be disturbed by these afflictions. Afflictions did not phase him out much. Most of his letters don't dwell on his sufferings at all. And he did not want anyone to be discouraged by it. Second, God limits suffering in time and in extent. Just a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, he will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Or Second Peter 2.9 The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. The God is well able. Huh? Uh, uh, there is an amazing story in the book of Acts, astounding story of Stephen, described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Yet in chapter 7, the crowd persecutes him and puts him to death by stoning. Still, two marvelous things happen exactly at that time. Verse 55. Being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazes intently into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus standing. Now we know normally he's described as sitting at the right of hand of God. But here he is standing and fully involved in what is happening and surely letting Stephen know. Second, on verse 60, it says, Falling on his knees, Stephen cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. It seems to me that God's presence was so strong in Stephen that the pain of stoning was only secondary. Stephen focused on the eternal life of the people who were actually stoning him. 
And the words chosen to indicate his death are very peaceful world, words. He fell asleep as if God spared him the intense suffering that normally would, would be part of being stoned. Third, a third insight from the scriptures is sometimes we have an explanation or we can see a purpose for our suffering. At other times, we can't. Paul, for example, could see a purpose, purpose in his suffering and even explain it at times. Job, on the other hand, could see no purpose and could not explain it, at least for a long time. And he was very vocal about it. David, for example, sometimes he could and sometimes he could not. In Psalm 6, he, desperate, he, he cried, How long, O Lord? Another time in Psalm 119, he said, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I learned your statutes. Fourth inside, insight, sorry, God knows about our suffering, and he often rewards it. Psalm 56, one of my favorite. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Or Hebrews 12, 2, about Jesus. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hatred by all because of my name, but the one who has endured to the end, he will be saved. Or 1 Peter 2. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under, under sorrow when suffering unjustly. This finds favor with God. And point five, how do we go through it? This is where the rudder hits the road. Eh? What do the scriptures tell? And here are just a few points that I could glean through. We bear, we stand, we surrender and hope. We cry aloud to God our Father and to Jesus our Lord. We hope. We claim his promises. And then we rejoice. So some scriptures for that. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.3 Suffer hardship with me, says Paul to Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6 to us all. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and, done, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. In the midst of the battle, like a soldier, we simply stand. Then to God we surrender all. We surrender our goals, our plans, our will, our hope. From Jesus' example, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. If the Lord wills, said James, only if the Lord wills, we will do this and this. We will plan, we will plant, we will grow, if the Lord wills. And then in the heat of our suffering, we desperately cry aloud to God, our Father, and to Jesus, our Lord. Dick, our pastor, led us to Psalm 6 and David's cries. 
And Doug vividly showed us David's emotion in there. Doug, please. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. You, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. Save me because... Because of your loving kindness. I'm weary with my sigh. Every night I... I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. My eye has been wasted away with grief and has become old because of all my adversaries. And do you remember Jesus himself who offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears? Eloi! Eloi, lama sabachthani! My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even others, like King Hezekiah, who became mortally ill, he wept bitterly. Remember me now, Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you, with a whole heart, have done what is good in your sight. So we hope, and we set our hope in God. Second Corinthians 1, indeed, Paul says, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. Momentary light affliction is going to produce in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Then we can remember his promises and even claim his promises in the middle of our troubles. Huh? Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Greater is he who is in you than he is who is in the world. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the fruit of your own hands, you will be happy with it and it will be well with you. Your wife will uh, be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold. For thus the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. 
who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your, ear, your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And Andrew at one time reminded us of this scripture, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink up deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So in time, we rejoice. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Some of us have experienced that. Linda Biles, she wrote to me, The core issue I have found is how much faith do I have in God's promises? Do I really trust who he promised to be, no matter what? Getting my attention, slowing me down, I learned to listen to his voice speaking to me. He got my attention and taught me many things about who he really is. How much he loves me and how trustworthy he is. I also learned obedience to what he was asking of me. Truly learning to worship this awesome God. And then she ends up with this astounding line. I wouldn't trade this time of getting to know my Savior for anything. Now my, uh, my prayer is to use what I learned to be a blessing to others. So thank you, Linda. We come to accept Jesus' words that in this world we will have trouble, tribulations, distress, and suffering. But his main message still remains is to take heart Take courage, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. And Paul certainly understands this. He says in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So finally, Paul gives us a metaphor. The metaphor of being like children in this world. We are immature and we are in a process of growing. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. A small child clings to his toy cars or her doll. We often act like children in this world. We like our toys. We don't share. We do not see much beyond our sandbox. We take our jobs very seriously. But Jesus warned us that we cannot do anything of value apart from him. Better now, as children, we should find out the works that God has prepared for us to do. 
and do these. Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Furthermore, a child is so absorbed in her dollhouse, she does not comprehend what a real mansion or city is. Or a little boy is so absorbed in his little toy car that he has little admiration for a real automobile. In the world to come, there will be true riches according to Jesus. In Luke 16, he does call them true riches in comparison to the unrighteous wealth of this present world. Can we imagine what these will be in comparison to what we now have? I think our eyes are blurry. We cannot fathom the extent of the riches to come, and we often don't realize that things in this world are vain, futile. They are destined to perish. They rust. 1 Corinthians 13.11 follows from Paul. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So we will be transformed and the whole world will be transformed. Romans 8.21 The creation in itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I can't wait. <laughs> So here we are back to our brief history visual with Stephen Hawkins and the suffering. And, and you know probably that Stephen had Lou Gehrig disease. But let's ask Stephen and ourselves a few questions to conclude. What do we focus on when we are not suffering? Are we aware that we are here for a mission? A mission that's different from what the rest of the world does. Are we aware that God calls us to be stewards? Are we motivated by his call to love one another and to make disciples? Are we limiting our focus to the course of this world? Or are we also elevating our eyes towards the next world? And here is a simple challenge for us all in the light of what we have seen. Can you think, one, of expressing in your own words what a worthy goal is for you? Here in this world, and say, for now. Jesus said to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. So what does this look like, uniquely, for you and me at this present time? I think we, sh we have to articulate in our own world something that is congruent to what God painted in the scriptures. In, in, in the scriptures huh? And we have to aspire to that. So two, how much of our attention, our time, our energy, our resources do we devote to this goal? And let me pray. Now pray with me please. Lord Jesus, give us perspective. Help us to understand the finite nature of this world. This world where we seem to be so invested at time. In our struggles and in our suffering, help us remember that you are with us. 
you ask us to stand and to hope and to be of good courage. So help us to do well, to follow you, to follow your goals, to follow your commandments, to invest into the next world, to real life, to what is to come, and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.